Hi, I'm Nancy Dufresne. Welcome to our podcast channel. We know you'll be blessed by today's message. Praise the Lord. Well, good morning, good morning, good morning. Say this with me before you're seated. I know God is good. good. Say it like you mean it. I know God is good. And I know His Word is truth. Amen. You believe that? Well, if you believe that, you can be seated. Praise the Lord. You know, so many people say, I know God's Word is true. And and, and that's not what Jesus said. He said, Father, John 17, Father, Thy Word is truth. Wow. Thy Word is truth truth. When I found that scripture as a teenager, it changed my life forever because I thought if I can find it in this book, I can make it happen. (laughs) If I can find it in here, I can take it to the bank. If if, if this is the absolute truth. You know, we're living in an America today where we don't believe much in absolute truth, but this missionary still believes in absolute truth. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, that was a surprise, Nancy. That's an old, uh, uh, my goodness, I need to redo that. Uh, I haven't seen that. I haven't seen that in a long time. That was my 40th year in ministry. I'm now on year 54. So uh, that, that was a while back. And uh, anyway, that, yeah, that was a surprise. But uh, it, I just, I'm excited about the things of God. Appreciate that. And uh, and uh, it's just, uh, it's such an honor to do what we do. I know there's a lot of ministries here, and some of you, my friends, for a long time. And and uh, I just, I just. We've just always had a heart for ministers, um, a heart for all ministries, but expe- and a special heart for those uh, that are beginning, but a major, major, major love for those continuing because not all that begin continue. And uh, so thank God for those that finish the race. Amen. So I appreciate you. You know, I do a lot of leadership conferences. God told me, like, as I said, when I was 18, he wanted me to minister to ministers around the world. And I, I, I knew that word was not for that day. I knew that I didn't, at 18, I had nothing to say to ministers around the world. And I knew that ministers around the world didn't want to hear what I didn't have to say. So I, I knew that I was, I knew that was my assignment for down the road, but that I would grow into it. But, but, uh, uh, not for that day. You know, sometimes God gives us a word and we make a sentence out of it, or he gives us a <laughs> sentence and we make a paragraph out of it. But um, I, I knew this word, this word is going to be my, my end result, but uh, it's not for today. So we did a lot of other things, uh, you know, to, yeah. before we were able to do ministers conferences, which is such an honor. And I'm delighted to have ministers in here today. Is, and, and uh, you know, leaders, um, leaders live in glass houses. Amen. Uh, leaders are crucified by the unqualified. They, they, and yet, just because you know that the guy driving the nail through your hands isn't qualified to do so, it doesn't make it hurt any less. Amen. It's, it's an honor to be a minister. It's an honor to be a, a leader. It's always an honor to minister to leaders and uh, uh, it's been an exciting ride for the last 54 years it's been it's been a it's been a delight and uh, my wife Jackie that I talked about a lot on that uh, she uh, she quit me she left and uh, uh, she went to heaven Ed quit and went to heaven Renee's husband Renee's husband Dean quit and went to heaven you know and uh, brother Copeland always tells me that Jackie left me for a better man 
I don't. I don't. I don't know what Ed and Dean's problems were, but but Jackie, Jackie let me. But uh, anyway, we're still here, and uh, we're we're getting getting the job done. Renee and I, as, uh, as, as Nancy said, we we had known each other forty years. Whenever uh, our spouses passed away, her husband Dean Garner, great guy, was my best friend for forty years, my hunting and fishing buddy for forty years, and so Jackie and I and Renee and Dean uh, were best friends for forty years, and, and went, took vacations together and ministry trips together, and they pastored a wonderful church in Corpus Christi, Texas, and they supported me and J- Jackie and I in the ministry and missions, and so I'd blow through there several times a year and minister or whatever, and just tremendous, just great great friends for, for all those years and all of a sudden just two of them left <laughs> you know so uh, they just left us lemons so we said we'll just get married and make lemonade and, uh, so I I, I, uh, I highly recommend you marry somebody you've known for 40 years there's that way that way there's no surprises you know there's no there's... we uh we only, we only went on one date, and, and I said, hey, let's go to dinner. And we'd had thousands of dinners together, just never alone. You know what I mean? In 40 years, we'd had lots of meals together. And, uh, but uh, so we went to dinner, and, and I, I looked at her across the table, and I said, you know, dating is, uh, uh, dating is to get to know somebody. And I said, I've known you for 40 years. I, I said, what am I supposed to say? Do you have any children? I help raise your children. You help raise my children. I taught, I taught your boys to hunt and fish, you know, along with Dean. And, and then her daughter, Abigail, who's now 35 years old, Jackie and I were there the day she was born and were her godparents. And so, so I went from being Abby's godfather to being her stepdad. So pretty soon I'll be my own grandpa, I guess. But uh, anyway, I said, uh, I said, you know, I, I, I don't need to find out what kind of food you like. I know what kind of food you like. I don't need what kind of movies you like. I know what kind of movies you like. I know everything there is to know about you. Let's get married. And, and she said, okay, let's do it. So we've been married almost eight years. So uh, I tell everybody we've been married for 90, what, 95 years? Because uh, uh, Jackie and I were married 44, and she and Dean were married 44. That's 88. And then we've been married almost eight, so you know that's 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 pushing a hundred years of marriage. You know. So uh, I guess we like it. We like marriage because we're going to do it again. And uh, I always tell everybody I was in the army and I've been married twice, so I know how to follow orders. So uh, <laughs> praise the Lord. But it's a it's a real. Uh, I'm, I, Nancy, I, I'm beyond honored that you uh, ask us to minister, and I appreciate that. I've just uh, I've enjoyed the meeting. Of course, Bill Winston and I go way back, good friends, and he just rung the bell every service, didn't he? I mean, it was just top shelf every time. And I didn't get to hear didn't get here in time to hear Nancy minister, but I'm assuming you're ministering tonight, right? Okay, so I'm looking forward to that. And you know, Nancy's Nancy's one of the well, I hate to say this, but there doesn't seem to be many word of faith preachers around anymore. And uh, Nancy's one of the few, you know, 
and I'm one of the few that we, we just, you know, we, you know, there's an old Texas saying that says dance with the one that brung you. And uh, we, uh, the word of faith got us where we got to and we, we're going to go all the way with it. And I have, I have pastor friends that I see every now and then around the country and and some of them will come up to me and they'll say, Brother Terry, you know, I'm just, you know, you know, I'm not word of faith anymore. And I always say, well, what does that mean? Yeah. I don't even know what that means. Yeah. I say, can you give me a definition of that? What, what, what does that even mean? Does that mean you don't believe the Bible anymore? <laughs> you don't believe you're healed by the stripes of Jesus? You don't believe, you, you don't believe you're, you're prosperous? I mean, what is it? How, how, what, what, define that for me. Yeah. You know, because I've always just said, hey, you, you know, if you believe the Bible, you're word of faith. That's right. <laughs> Amen. You know, the Lord gave me, gave to me as a 16-year-old kid, 1966. I know that dates me. I'm 72 now if you're trying to do the math. But uh, uh, God, I was the youth leader of our home church. The pastor came to me and I was 16 and said, Terry, I want you to start a youth group. This church never had a youth group. I want you to start a youth group. And, and I said, okay, well, you're the pastor, whatever you say. And uh, I said, I don't know how to do a youth group, but, you know, I've never been to one. But, you know, I, I, I know who knows. So I'll ask the Lord. And so uh, uh, I, I just, not only did the pastor give me the youth group, but gave me an impossible assignment because pastor said, now your, your, your range of, of, of your, your youth group is going to be from 13, now I'm 16, 13, to what we call young marrieds. Now, young marrieds were younger then than they are today, but, uh, you know, but still, I mean, 24, 25, 26 year old that are married and got kids. I'm 16, know nothing about any of that. 13 year olds. So I've got a, I've got a range of, so I did a lot of praying. I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and, and God blessed it. I mean, my youth group outgrew the pastor Sunday morning service and we, man, we had miracles and healings and of course salvations and, you know, and I was kind of the pastor and, you know, I'd go drag these kids out of bars. They'd call me drunk, you know, at midnight and I'd go drag them out of bars and I'd never been in, been in a bar in my life, but I went to a few after that, just dragging kids out. But, uh, but anyway, I was in serious prayer one, one afternoon and, uh, and just beseeching the Lord. And I said, father, I, I don't just need a sermon for these kids. I don't need three points in a poem. I, 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 need, I need a lifestyle they can live by. I said, they're, I said, they're facing stuff that I don't even know anything about. I said, of course, back in the 60s, this is 1966. And of course, California is a little more advanced than we were in Texas. So drugs hadn't quite got to Texas yet, but we, we were having the fringes of it, you know. West Coast and East Coast were already experiencing it, but it was, it was getting to the Midwest. And so uh, I said, they're, they're experiencing stuff I don't know anything about. And I said, and these married folks are experiencing stuff I sure don't know anything about. And, and, and then these 13-year-olds, you know, I've been there, done that, and don't, you know. And so I, I, need, a, I need a lifestyle. I need a lifestyle. And uh, that they can take to the bank, they can live by. And the Lord spoke to me. I, I always thought it was audible, but nobody else in the room to prove it. You know, I, I, but he said to me, he said, write this down. So I grabbed a pencil and an old bank pad, you know, from the bank and just, and he said, you can talk like God. And I just wrote that down. You can talk like God. And I thought, that's, a, that's, that's strange. I never heard anything like that before. Again, this is 1966. I mean, there weren't, there were no word of faith churches. There were no word of faith Bible schools. There were no word of faith books. There were no word of faith tapes. You know, I mean, 1966, I think brother Coleman just got what, just got saved like the next year or something. And, uh, and you know, all my other word of faith friends weren't 
saved now, weren't, weren't, a lot of them weren't even saved then. Brother Hagin had just left the Assemblies of God that same year and gone into his own ministry. And, and so uh, this is early, early, early days. And so I wrote down, you can talk like God. And then he literally explained to me over the next half hour or so and gave me what we now call today the, the Word of Faith message. I mean, he yeah. gave me all the foundations for it, all the foundational scriptures. Uh, and, and, and so from, from that, and I got up then and preached that on my youth service Friday night. And the place was packed. I mean, it was packed out. And I got up, you know, 16 years old, I got up and I preached, you can talk like God. Hallelujah. And I gave them all the scriptures God gave me. Because God started with me in Genesis and said, let me show you how I talk. Yeah. <laughs> you know? In verse 3 and verse 6 and verse 9 and verse 14 and verse 20, he said, and God said, and it was so. And I mean, he just took me right on up through Joshua. Joshua spoke to the son, you know, said, son, hold your place over Gibeon, thou moon over the battle of Agilon. And, and the sun stopped and, and time stopped. And, and, you know, I just went right on, right on, right on, right on through the Old Testament and right on into the New Testament. And, uh, the, you know, uh, what, what saith it, the word of faith that we preach. And, and you got faith in your heart and faith in your mouth. And Jesus said, Jesus killed the fig tree with his mouth. And, yep. and, and he spoke to the wind and the waves and yep. spoke to devils and spoke to dead people. And, and I just took that all the way through. Everything God had given me during that. I've still got those original notes from 1966. And, uh, and, and when I finished, I, my, my closing statement was something like this. I said, so because of this, from this day forward, we're just not going to say anything until we know what the word of God says about it. We're not going to say anything about our health, about our finances, about our marriage, about our husband, about our wife, about our kids. We're just not going to say anything till we know what God said. Then we're going to say what God said because you can talk like God. And when I finished, Nancy, in unison, they said, blasphemy, <laughs> crucify him. Man, I was in trouble. And they took me to the back room to the pastor's office that night. I mean, the pastor and the deacons, the elders, and my mama. And I mean, they took me to the back room and they said, you did bad. That's, how dare you? Who do you think you are? What do you mean you can talk like God? I mean, they, they, they read the right act to me. And being 16 and being, you know, respectful and understanding yes, sir. the church and authority and I thought gray hair should speak and wisdom of years should utter knowledge. And, you know, and, and so I just thought, man, they've been doing this forever. And I just started, uh, they must be right. I, I must have missed it. And so I, I repented to the pastor to, I'm sorry. I, I'm so sorry. I never, I'm so sorry. I said, you want me to resign? No, I don't want you to resign. I just want you to never do anything like that again. And so I waited. They all left and I went and locked the church doors and then I went down to the altar. Remember when we used to have altars in churches? I went down, I went down to the altar. I laid on my face and cried and, 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 and repented all night long and said, Father, I'm so sorry. I am so sorry. Please forgive me. I didn't mean to blaspheme against you. I I'm so sorry. I never meant. I thought you told me something. And, uh, and I repented. And a year and a half later, I was in the jungles of Panama. And I'm eating monkey and other stuff. Other stuff. <laughs> Like I said, we lived wildcat style. No catch, no eat. If I didn't catch anything, shoot anything, catch anything, we didn't eat anything. One day I was so hungry, I was out to, Marcus, I was out hunting, trying to find something to eat. And uh, I couldn't find any monkeys. I went to all the usual hangouts, you know, and I listened for the, you know, nothing. And I looked for pigs and I looked for, you know, I, I looked for all kinds of stuff. I just couldn't find anything. And all of a sudden I heard a tapping. 
And I thought, that's a woodpecker. Now, woodpeckers aren't but that big. But I thought, I was hungry. And I thought, that's a woodpecker. So I traced that down, traced that down, traced that down. Finally found that fella. And he's up there just pecking on a tree, you know. And so uh, I shot him. And uh, a minute or two later, his, his friend started pecking. So I shot him. <laughs> and uh, Frank, I went back to the village and cleaned those rascals. And they, now they're too little to eat. You know, I mean, a, a, you know, a leg, a leg wouldn't be that big, you know. So you can't, you can't, you can't, have, a, you can't have a woodpecker leg. But I, but I needed some protein. And so I just, I just cleaned them, gutted them, defeathered them, cleaned them, threw them in a pot of water and just boiled them. And they made woodpecker soup just so I'd have some protein. And anyway, while I was there, I got desperately sick, terribly sick. Now, the missionaries told me I'd get sick. My pastors told me I'd get sick. The church told me I'd get sick. And sure enough, I got sick and, uh, and, and about died. Uh, I, I got yellow fever. Uh, my, my eyes were jaundiced. My skin was yellow. And, and of course, a lot of people died in Panama due to, due to malaria and due to yellow fever and due to all that kind of stuff. And, and, uh, it, but besides that, I got these sores all over my body. I had horrible, every time I'd get cut, and I got cut a lot in the jungle. We was building a house for the missionary. We'd, I'd go out in the jungle and chop trees down, carry them back on my shoulder and, you know, and trim, the, trim the leaves off. And, and we built him a, a house, a hut. And uh, so I'd get cut and get stuck and get, you know, and they just never would heal. Not one sore ever healed. They just stayed sore. And because I'm in the tropics, you know, then you got insects of, that we know not of in America. And so uh, they came and just set up housekeeping in those sores and, and you know, had their babies. And, and, uh, and so I was infected. I mean, I was in bad shape. And on top of all of that, uh, I had dysentery for three months. So... I'm in pretty bad shape. And I went down there weighing 186 pounds, I think it was. I came home weighing 132. And my jaws are sunk in. You know, those pictures you saw on that day, I was, I was. And uh, my jaws are sunk in. My eyes are sunk back in my head. And, and then I had these sores all over my body. I couldn't figure out what that was about. And, uh, and, and if you push my body in, in my, my skin, anywhere if you push it in, it'd just stay in. It wouldn't spring back out. And the medical people today tell me that's from dehydration, from the dysentery. But I didn't know what it was from. I just knew I was in trouble. And one, and one day the missionary came up to me that I was with. I was laying in a hammock my, 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 in, in his house, in, in, in the hut, and in my hammock. And uh, I was just so sick I couldn't hardly move. And he said, uh, and I'd always been strong as a knox, you know. I mean, if I grabbed something and moved it, it moved. And I was just, you know, I was just a, you know, good old country Texas boy. And I, I was used to, and I mean, I was weak as water. And, uh, and so he looked at me with a furrowed brow, worried look. And he said, Sarah, he said, son, I, I don't know what to do for you. He said, uh, you need to go to the doctor. But he said, we can't get you to the doctor. He said, as you know, we'd have to put you in a canoe for seven hours just to get you up the river to the first village where we can get you across another river to, the, to another village where there's the first road where we can put you in an old beat-up panel truck and get you 50 miles into the first town where there's a first doctor. And he said, we, you, can't, you can't make the trip. You're too weak. You can't make the trip. And he said, I just don't know what to do for you. And uh, I, said, uh, I said, well, you know, we got to do something. And he said, well, son, he said, you've got... Uh, You've got yellow fever. He said, I've seen that down here a lot. Your eyes are jaundiced, your skin's jaundiced. And he said, uh, besides that, he said, you've got, you're not eating. You've got dysentery, and so you're not eating. Every time you, you, you try to eat something, you, you throw it up. 
and, and even water. And he said, so the last few days you haven't even had water. And he said, he said, you don't get some water, you're going to die. And so I'm laying there in this hammock, Nancy, 5,000 miles from home, you know, 18 years old, love God with all my heart. And I'm dying for Jesus. And, uh, um, the doctors in the army told me later that I had tuberculosis as well. I got in all kinds of trouble one day in the army. They, 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 I was out, you know, training, basic training. And they, they blew a whistle and they, my eyes. And I came over there and, and they said, uh, get to the infirmary. The doctors want you in the infirmary. And I, well, I don't know why I'm not sick, but I said, yes, sir. So I took off, went to the infirmary and, uh, infirmary. and uh, of course the officers, the doctors are officers. So I went in there. Yes, sir. I'm reporting. And, uh, and he said, my eyes, why didn't you tell us you had tuberculosis? I said, well, cause I don't I never have. Yes, you, yes, you have. I said, no, sir, I'm, I'm sorry, but I've never, I've never had tuberculosis. I've never had. He said, he said, you most certainly have. I said, I've got the x-rays. I see the scars on your lungs. So I just walked out of there thinking, he said, you could have stayed out of the army. You wouldn't have had to come to the army if you'd have told us that. And I said, but I haven't had it. And uh, I, went, I just went out of there thinking maybe their machine was broken or he was mistake, mistaken. It took me several years. I thought, well, God, did, maybe I did. Maybe I had it and didn't know it and you healed me. I mean, who, who knows? Uh, but anyway, he said, so you've got to have some, you know, water and you, you're not taking water. He said, you're, you're, you're going to die if you don't. And he, and, and he said, and you've got all those sores that run in pus and blood all over your body. And he said, I don't know what that's from, but that's not good. And so I, I looked at him laying there in a hammock. I looked at him and I said, so, so I've got yellow fever. That's, that's the only thing I keyed on. And, and he said, well, yeah, you got yellow fever, but that's not the, that's not the most of your problems. Your problem, you know, you're going to have to drink some water and eat. And, and, and I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, but yellow fever, I was looking for a name. Yeah. I was looking for something, you know, I said, yellow fever. You, I've got yellow fever. He said, well, yeah, yeah, you've got that among other things. I said, never mind the other thing. And I just said about halfway up in my hammock is all I could, all I could do strength wise. And I said, yellow fever is just a disease. I said, and I can fix a disease. And he said, what do you mean? And I said, well, Jesus said, lay hands on the sick in the name of Jesus and you shall recover. And I said, here's the hands. I held my hands up like this. And I said, and here's the sick. <laughs> Put them on me. And I said, so in Jesus name, I shall recover. And, uh, and I mean, from that point, I began to recover. I didn't have an instant miracle, but I began to get better. And that day I took a little water. And the next morning I took a little water, a little rice. And the next day I took a little more rice. And I, I began to get and so by the time it came for me to go back to the States, my visa had run out. I had to go back and renew my papers. I'm going to come right back and be home two weeks and come back. And uh, so I, I went home. And I don't know if America would let you off the airplane now looking like I looked then. I was a nasty looking critter. Uh, you know, I was just skinning. Had on the same clothes that I had when I went down there because, you know, no, no, no place in the jungle to buy clothes. So, and I'm just pulling, you know, pulling my belt as tight as I can. I actually had it tied with a rope. Uh, just, you know, just, and, uh, and jaws sunk in, eyes sunk. I mean, my, Jackie was my fiance then. She picked me up at the airport and she was horrified. You know, she said, I sent a man down there and brought a boy back. You know, I said, she's, this is bad. And she didn't know if she wanted to marry me or not. And I didn't blame her. And, uh, and so it was Wednesday, so you go to church Wednesday. So I went, we went to church that night. And the pastor said, oh, Brother Terry's back from Panama and back from the jungle. And he about died for Jesus. Isn't that great? And they all clapped, you know. And, and, uh, um, and I'm sitting right over here on this, this, this side over here. And, and, uh, and, and I remember during the service, I just crossed my legs. I just put one leg over the other. And when I did, just the pressure of my trousers on my leg caused one of those sores to burst and, 
and, and, and oozed through my pants, through my trousers, you know, just blood and embarrassing. I got up and went to the bathroom, you know, and cleaned it up. And, and uh, uh, that night, Jackie and I went out to get a Coke or hamburger or something. I said to her, I said, I said, darling, I said, um, you remember a year and a half ago, two years ago, when God gave me a, I thought God gave me a message and the church didn't like it. I got in trouble. So yeah, I, I remember. Because our pastors were her aunt and uncle. She remembered. <laughs> and, uh, and I said, I, I'm not so sure they were right. Yeah. I said, I'm not so sure God didn't show me something. Because I said, you know, I could have done a lot better job for God in the jungle if I hadn't been so sick. I said, there's days I needed to go preach to those, those tribal people, and I just couldn't do it. In fact, one day I was so weak, and I said, I've got to go preach to these people. I've got to help these people. And I, we had a horse there, so I went over and, you know, got the horse and got the saddle and just barely got the saddle up on his man. I'm a Texan, man. I've, I've saddled horses. I mean, you know, and here I'm just uh, trying to get this. Set. And just pulling the cinch strap tied, the girth strap, uh, I passed out. I've never fainted or passed out in my life before or since. But just putting that exertion, that strength, and just pulling it, just, I just passed out. And when I woke up, I'm laying flat on the ground. The horse is looking at me like this, you know. <clears throat> so I got up and pulled the saddle off of him, and I clawed back up in the house and in the hut and went back to my hammock. And I just said, I, I could have helped more people if I hadn't been so sick. I said, and I could have helped more people if I'd had some money. You know, when I went back into Panama City to get supplies, if I could have bought some supplies, that would have been nice. And I said, I, I'm, I said, it doesn't make sense to me that God would kill his missionaries. I said, that's lousy military strategy. I said, no general kills his troops. And I said, God can't hardly get anybody to go to the mission fields. And when finally somebody says, I'll go, then he kills them. <laughs> I said, it just somehow didn't seem, that's just, I said, I think God said something to me. And I said, uh, I said, I'm only going to be here two weeks, as you know, and go back. And I said, but I said, if something doesn't change, I said, my missionary career isn't going to be very long. And I said, that's fine. I said, if God wants me to die for Jesus, I'm happy to do that. He died for me. I can die for him. If that's, if that's what he wants, hey, that, that's not a big deal. I said, in fact, they don't even need to ship my body back from the jungle. Just bury me in the jungle and go on with it. I, that's not a problem with me. You know, he, I, I, I said, it just doesn't make sense. Right. What good would it do? Right. Who would it help? And I said, uh, so she said, well, what are you going to do? And I said, I'm going to lock myself in a room tomorrow. And I said, I'm not coming out until I hear from God. And I said, I, I said, you know, if I don't hear from God in two weeks, then I'll come out of the room and go back to, <laughs> go back to the jungle and either live or die for God, whatever. I said, but I, I'm going I'm to go hear something. And I said, I'm not coming out until I hear or until it's time to catch an airplane. And so uh, I, went to, I went to the room and locked myself up. And uh, I said, I said, Lord, you're going to have to talk to me. And it's as if Nancy, like he said, in not too nice a tone of voice either. He said, I've been waiting for you to ask. 
And I said, well, I, I, th I think you talked to me. I, I, I think you told me something. The church tells me you did not. I, I need to get this settled. Yeah. And, uh, and I told Jackie, I said, whatever I hear from God, when I come out of there, that's how we're going to live. If you marry me, that's how we're going to live. And, uh, and so uh, he said, uh, turn to Romans 12 too. Well, I, you know, I, I knew what that said. I just quoted it to him, you know. Don't be, don't be conformed to this world. Be, be transformed by the new in your mind. Blah, 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 blah. And he said, I said, turn there. I said, yes, sir. Yes, sir. And I, I turned there. And I read it to him out loud. And I said, see, it says just what I told you it says. I said, what's your point? And he said, my point is you need to change your thinking. I said, there's nothing wrong with my thinking. He said, oh, yes, you have stinking thinking. First time I'd ever heard that phrase. A lot of preachers have written books about it and tapes about it since then. But uh, you've got stinking thinking. I said, I do not have stinking thinking. I said, that says, don't be conformed to the world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. I said, I don't think like the world. I got saved when I was six. I've been filled with the Holy Ghost forever. I've never lived out in the world, lived in sin. I, I don't think like that. I think like the church. Yeah. <laughs> which, which was true. Yeah. And the Lord said, that's exactly right. Yeah. You think like the church and the church has stinking thinking. Yeah. And you need to change your thinking and start thinking like me. And that was one of those epiphany moments where the instant he said it, I didn't have to think about it. I just knew this is truth. This is truth. Amen. And I tell you what, he gave me five scriptures that now you all know them frontwards, backwards, and sideways. Back in 1966, the church didn't seem to know those scriptures, but, but, but now they're the, they're the crux and the foundation of the word of faith message. But he gave me Romans 12, 2. Then he, then he said, turn over to Joshua 1. And he said, he said, I told Joshua to do three things. And then if he would do those three things, he'd be prosperous and he'd be successful. He said, and if you'll do those three things, you'll be prosperous and successful. And anybody else will do those three things. They'll be prosperous and successful. So I turned over there and, and I said, you said three things. What are those three things? I went over there and it was talk like God. Think like God, yep. act like God. Ah. Isn't that right? That's right? He said to Joshua, let not this book of the law depart from out of your mouth or talk like God. Yeah. And thou shalt meditate therein. Yeah. How long? Day and night. And what did God really mean by day and night? What he, what he really meant was day and night. Yeah. <laughs> or think like God. He said, and then that thou may observe us to do, to be a doer, to do according to A.W. Longest Word in the Bible, all that's written therein. And then thou shall have, thou shall make thy way prosperous and thou shall have good success. And I had never heard anybody in my church in all my growing up years talk about successfulness and prosperity. Not for Christians. And I literally said to the Lord, I said, Father, seriously, can it really be that easy? Can it really be that easy? And the Lord said, 
I said, can it really be that simple? That's what I said. He said, he said, simple, yes. Easy, no. Yes, that's right. Amen. He said, it's just that simple. Yes. But he said, it's not that easy because you're going to have to change your thinking. And you're going to have to change your talking. Then he led me to Jeremiah 1.12. I watch over my word. I hasten my word to perform it. All of heaven's watching the word all the time. All of heaven's watching all the time to see what you're going to say. That's right. To see if somebody, some man, some woman, some boy, some girl, somewhere on the earth is going to say something in line with the word or do something based on the word so they know what they're supposed to do. Right. See, heaven doesn't know what it's supposed to do. You, you know you've got angels, right? right. Yes, yes, yes. Just because you grew up doesn't mean you don't still have angels. But I've always said this for decades and decades. I've said, you know, angels are, angels are underworked and overpaid. Because they're assigned to you. But they're watching you and listening to you 24-7. So they know what they're supposed to do. To see if you say something yes. intelligent, meaning based on the word of God. Because right. all that other stuff you say, they don't care about. Right. Yeah. Amen. And watching you to see if you're going to do something based on the word. Then they know what they're supposed to do. Amen. But most angels are just <laughs> laying on a lamppost, chewing on a toothpick, waiting for you to say something. Yeah. <laughs> you know, one angel looks at another and says, my guy hadn't said anything today. Is yours? <laughs> No, it's been 16 weeks since my guy said anything in line with the word. Heaven doesn't know what they're supposed to do until you say something. Renee and I have our own YouTube channel. Some of y'all may watch that. Some of you have told me you do and put out a new one every, every Thursday. And, and uh, embarrassingly enough, yesterday I, I was watching it. It comes out every Thursday, so I was watching it yesterday. Embarrassingly enough, we're on, we're on week 16, 15 of spiritual authority. We've been talking about spiritual authority for 15 weeks. And, and you know, the church just hadn't scratched the surface of spiritual authority. We're, we're supposed to be running this place. God said in Genesis 1:26, after he'd created everything else, then he got through with all the birds and the flowers and the trees and the oceans and the stars and the moon, all that stuff. Then he said, now, let us make man. Man, men and women, mankind. Let us make man in our likeness and in our image. And let them, them men and women, let them have dominion. Now we use the word today, faith and authority and power, but he used a stronger word. He said dominion. He said, I want my bunch to dominate the place. I want them to be the dominating factor. And then he gave us categories. He said, I mean over the fowl of the air, the fish of the sea, the beasts of the field, and over all the earth. That means tornadoes and hurricanes and wildfires and tsunamis and earthquakes and, right? Dominion, 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 dominate. And somewhere along, the church has gone to sleep with that and forgotten that we're not the little mealy mouth sissified church but we're the dominating factor on the planet. 
You know, I hear all these different people, politicians and everybody else today, you know, movie stars and everybody saying, saying, we've got to save the planet. Well, who do you think you are? You can't save the planet. You know, there are some fools think they can save the planet. And other fools think they can destroy it. Man can't destroy it and he can't save it. Because it belongs to God. The earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof and all that dwell therein. Amen. And, and, and contrary to popular belief, uh, he is going to destroy it one of these days. Oh, he is going to destroy it. But we're to be the dominating factor. Amen. I mean, dominate. Dominate. Yes, sir. But we're going to have to do that by speaking the word, saying the word, declaring the word, right. acting on the word. Amen. I love it where he says, let us make man our likeness, our image. You know, every, every time we had a, a baby and every time we had a grandbaby, I was there. And I'd pick that little old sweet thing up and look at it. And then I've delivered a few babies that I didn't want to. First time I was 18 years old in the jungles of Panama, I didn't know where babies came from, but I delivered one. <laughs> hey, I'm talking 1968, man. Now I know your kids can watch TV today. They can watch the whole thing. They can watch the whole birth. <laughs> Back then, we watched Lucy and Desi and Leave it to Beaver. And, and those folks slept in pajamas in twin beds. And, and, and I watched Westerns. And so when they came and told me, hey, this girl's 13-year-old girl down here, wife number five of this guy, uh, is having a baby, I said, congratulations. They said, no, 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 you got to come. I said, I don't got to come. They said, no, you're the missionary. You got to come help. I said, no, I don't. And they said, you have to come. You're the missionary. So I got up and went down there and didn't have a clue what was going on. I go down there into, her, into their hut and the husband's butchering a pig five feet away from where she's having a baby. And, uh, and she's squatting down on her, on her knees with her feet under her. And I said, uh, I don't think that's right. <laughs> I said, I, said I, I think you're supposed to lay down. <laughs> and she went, and I said, okay, okay, never mind. Never mind. And they came to me and they said, uh, what do you want us to do? Well, hey, I know the answer to that. I watch Gunsmoke. I watch Ponderosa. I watch John Wayne. I said the same thing every Western doctor ever said on TV. Boil water. It's exactly what I said. I said, boil water. I thought, what's the matter with you people? They came back in a little bit, brought me this big tub of smoking water. I mean, boiling water. They said, what do we do with this? I said, I don't have a clue. <laughs> Somehow I knew I was going to have to cut something. So I took my hunting knife that I'd been skinning monkeys with and, and threw it in the, the boiling water. <laughs> I 
and I found some string because I knew some, I don't know how I knew this, somehow I knew I was supposed to tie something up. And so I, I threw the string in there. And then when it got cool enough, I washed my hands, but it was hot for a long time. I, you know, <laughs> delivered this little baby girl, cut the cord, tied it off, cut the cord. And uh, the dad wouldn't name it. He's mad because she's a girl. And so I asked him, well, what's, what's the baby's name? He said, I went back the next day. He, I said, what's the baby's name? I went for five days in a row. What's the baby's name? He said, he didn't care. He's mad. Mad at her. And I said, if you don't name this baby, when I get here tomorrow, I'm going to name her myself. He said, fine. I came back the next day. I said, what's the baby's name? He said, you name her. I said, all right, her name's Deborah after Deborah in the Bible. So he said, all right, fine, her name's Deborah. But you know, I, I've had to do some missionary stuff like that. And uh, every time I had one of those little babies in my hands, mine or my, my kids, my grandkids, or the other babies I've delivered here and there, uh, I've looked at them and I said, thank God. They're made in God's likeness, in God's image. Because I've seen some ugly gods around the world. <laughs> Now, I go, to, I go to India a lot and have for decades and decades. And they, they got, the Hindus have 330 million gods. I know it goes right over your head as an American. We don't think like that. 330 million gods. And the best god they got is a guy named Ram. And Ram has an elephant's head, and he's got lots of arms and hands everywhere. And I've always said, thank God he doesn't look like Ram. God made us in his likeness, in, in his image. You know, I've gone to those Hindu temples and there are these gods like that. And, and sometimes I'll have an arm broken off. Maybe two. And it'll be laying over there in the corner. And I've gone into the priest and said, excuse me, uh, who, who, who builds your gods? Well, our, our, our priests build our gods. I said, well, that's interesting. I said, in Christianity, our God builds our priests. And I said, I, I see your guy here is missing a couple of arms. I see him over there in the corner. Who, uh, who repairs your gods when they get broke? Well, our, our priests repair our gods when they get broke. I said, well, that's interesting. In Christianity, our God repairs our priests when they get broke. You know? but, but God said, I made us in, in, he made us in his image, his likeness. And he said, and I want them to be the dominating force. Amen. Amen. Christians are living so far beneath their privileges, so far beneath their dignity. We're the, we're the people of God called by his name. Isn't that right? I guess I ought to quit circling this airport and preach on something. I didn't ask you what the time limit was, Nancy. The, lo the, the longest I've ever preached in one service is 10 and a half hours. Wow. Um, I, don't, I don't feel that particular anointing today, but <laughs> neither, neither did I then. <laughs> Boy, you'd like it. You'd like it if God did it. Nobody wants to go to church and hear some guy stand up here for a long time flopping his jaws. Come on, but if the Holy Ghost is doing something, well, we'll just, we'll just stay forever. We were talking about that last night. Brother Hagin used to always say this. He'd say, he'd say, 
the miracles happen and the Holy Spirit shows up when the unbelieving believers leave. You say, like on Sunday night when the service is going and, and then it gets, you know, time to end and the unbelieving believers go home and the, the believing believers stay. He said, that's when the miracles happen. That's when the Holy Spirit shows up. And, you know, back in those days, we made fun of the Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, all those folks because we said Sunday morning, said, man, man, they're fighting each other to get to the restaurant by 12. But by the time we get there at 2, 2.30 or so, the restaurant will be cleared out and we can just go in and eat. But now we try to beat them. The church has fallen a long way. Amen. The church has fallen a long, long way. I believe the day's coming, Pastor Nancy, when the, when the, the sheep, the congregation, comes to the shepherd, to the pastor. Not the other way around. I believe it's going to be the sheep come to the pastor and say, Pastor... <laughs> We need more church. This isn't working. <laughs> this one hour a week business is not working. We ought to be able to look around and say, this isn't working. <laughs> well, see, it used to work. But that's when we went to church and made it a priority. You know, I, I think Chantel this morning and I think Morgan this morning said, I've just enjoyed, I, I appreciate you ladies getting those kids to church all week. Yeah. These little kids come in here looking like they stepped out of a catalog, you know, out of a band box, you know, and in church. And uh, I, I just appreciate that. I just, I just honor that. Just raise those kids right. And boy, Jackie used to walk in these meetings, our four little kids, you know, and they just looked so perfect and she looked perfect and everything. And people would come to me and they'd say, boy, your kids always just look so, so like they just stepped out of a catalog. Here we are missionaries, you know. And, and, and I'd say, yeah, but you ought to see the hotel room before we left. <laughs> 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 it, it, look, it looks like it blew up, you know. <laughs> But I, 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 I honor you mothers that do that. I honor. Jackie used to say to me, she said, Terry, I feel like I just get up, get me ready, get four kids ready, and go to church just to beat kids. <laughs> she said, I just get to church, and I got to take this one out. And I get that one back in here and I got to take the other one out. I get that one back in here, I got to take the other one out. I used to, I used to teach my kids. That, that I said, now, because mom and I are on the platform, I said, you got to sit on the front row. And we didn't send them to children's church or that course of thing. We, we wanted them in the big service. And so uh, I said, now, you, you sit on the front row. And I said, because we're not with you because we're on the platform. I said, we can't correct you. So you watch us. And I said, if I ever snap my fingers... Then, then, then you're in trouble. I said, the first one's a warning. I said, if I ever do it twice, now you're in trouble. And sometimes, sometimes I, would, I would just get excited preaching and snap my fingers. Boy, those kids would... They'd say, who did it? Who did something? What'd you do? I didn't do anything. Praise the Lord. 
they've left these up here. I guess I'm supposed to say something about them. Spiritual authority, which again, I, I never get through with. There's 11 CDs in there and it, it, it's, that's kind of my bread and butter around the world. Uh, if you're more of a video person, this is video, that's audio, this is video. That's five hours of teaching on there. Uh, this is our newest thing, Legacy Volume 1. These are just four sermons here that are not really sermons or lifestyles that God gave me somewhere around the world, some foreign country somewhere where there was a crisis, and God gave me a word to change history or change the nation, and, uh, and, and it's, it's done it, and those will bless you. Since it's Legacy Volume 1, I'm assuming, and Renee did this, I'm assuming there's going to be a Volume 2 or 3 or something, but... And one of, my one, of my, one of my favorites is Faith Anchor. I was preaching in the church in, in Florida years ago that, that uh, a partner church of ours, usually in, in America, I, just, I, I give our partner church this first option for me to come preach since I'm, I'm there every year. And uh, I was there one, one year and, and a few years ago, and, and I said, now, Pastor, my secretary told me you want me to minister on spiritual authority this week. And he said, yeah, I do. That'd be great. And I said, okay, great. Then he came to me about an hour or so later, and he said, Terry, Never mind that. He said, what I'd really like you to do is just, just preach what you want to preach. Just preach what the Holy Ghost tells you. I said, that's a novel idea. Because <laughs> usually I'm told what to preach and what they want me to do, you know. And, uh, and that's okay. Uh, I said, seriously, really? I can do what I want to? I, I can really do what, what, what the Holy Ghost wants to do and I want to do? And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, do it. And I said, then I'm preaching on faith. If I got my druthers, I'm preaching on faith. I'm going to dance with the one that brought me. I, I, know, I know faith. I know how to do that. And so, so I came in and started preaching uh, on, on faith. Um, and I think Basics of Faith is, is the album out there that, that's got that on it. But anyway, and uh, the whole time I'm preaching this, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, this is really good. I wish I could take notes. Man, I didn't know I knew this. Because see, preachers, when you, when you preach on something, the Holy Ghost... Will preach and tell you stuff you didn't know you knew. Anyway, those will bless you. They'll help you. And then again, remember that we do have our, our YouTube program. In fact, if y'all go to YouTube, it's free, and just click on there, subscribe. It would help us. It doesn't cost you anything. And if you don't know how to do that, get a grandchild to help you. Uh, and, uh, and it's it's uh, it, it's free. And, and, and when you do that, it makes, it's, it really it's, doesn't, doesn't mean much to me, but, but it, it's, it, it impresses YouTube. They think we're important, you know. I know we're important, but they, they kind of watch that. And then there's a picture of a bell there, an icon of a bell. You click on that, they get all excited. So anyway, that's, uh, if y'all if do that, that'd be great. And then uh, Jackie and I years ago started, and Renee and I are still, still doing it. We started a, a, a foundation for humanitarian aid called JMICF, Jackie Mize International Children's Foundation. And so we help orphans and widows and disasters, disaster relief and hurricanes and tsunamis and stuff like that. Just because I'd gone to so many disasters over the years trying to get into a country to help them at, during a disaster, and they'd say, well, who are you? And I'd say, well, I'm Terry Mize. I'm a minister. Oh, no, we don't need ministers. You know, we're... We're digging people out. I said, I know I came to help you dig people out. And they said, no, thank you. So we started a humanitarian aid deal. And, so, and I printed up little cards and said, I'm the, I'm the CEO of a humanitarian aid. And I, and I got money. So, you know, they, they liked that. They said, well, come on in then, you know. So 
and then every year we do a big push for Christmas just to send to orphans. And so this is out there on the table if you'd like to pick one up. It, it's not a fundraiser. Not one thing in here says, please give us any money. No, no, it's just a report of what we did this last Christmas. And uh, we gave to over 40 orphanages in, in 26 nations and uh, paid for widows and roofed some houses for widows and dug water wells around the world and bought some vans for orphanages. And, and then since Ukraine started, we, we bought a van for missionary there to, to bring people out and bring supplies in at $5,000 a pop. And so we, anyway, we're involved in a lot of that stuff. And so that, that's back there. But let's get into something here. Uh, I... Uh, I, I, I rode that other horse along. I might all just keep riding it, but uh, maybe I can mix it with a couple of things here. Uh, I was in South Africa numbers of years ago, and I was preaching for a, for a, a, a friend of mine, a guy I'd known for a long time, and uh, he's part of a big organization in South Africa that at one time was Word of Faith. And so I, I thought it still was. <laughs> And uh, I had preached at the Bible school way back in the early 80s, and along with every, you know, every other, you know, Brother Copeland and Jerry and everybody else had preached there. And uh, uh, but somehow during the over the years, the, the the head of that organization had a head button or falling out with Brother Hagen, and so they just said, "We're not word of faith anymore," which I don't even understand. But I didn't know that at the time, and so I got up and preached a good faith message in this church. And uh, talked about raising the dead and, and gave some taught on faith and told some missionary stories, and, which they wanted me to tell. And uh, when, I, when church was over, we went out to, to, to lunch with the pastor. And he said, he made this statement to me. He's dead and he's in heaven now, but he made this statement to me. He said, Terry, that was such a wonderful, wonderful service, wonderful anointing, good miracles. He said, it's, he just ducked his head. He said, it's been a long, long time since anybody has stood in my pulpit and preached something like that. And I said, what do you mean something like that? Yeah. He said, well, you know, it's just been a long time since anybody told me that my faith would have something to do with my outcome. Yeah. I said, what? Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> I said, my first question is, why not? You're the pastor. <laughs> it's your pulpit. He said, yeah, but I don't have liberty. I'm, I'm part of the organization. I'm told, you know. I said, well, I think I'd find another place to preach. That's right. That's right. And he said, actually, you'd be hard-pressed. I was talking to Bill Winston about this this week because they love Bill in South Africa, and he, he does a lot of stuff in South Africa. And uh, uh, he, said, uh, he said, you'd be hard-pressed to find a pastor anywhere in South Africa that preaches faith or that believes that their faith would have something to do with their outcome. And I said, well, what about the Bible school? What? He said, oh, no, they, they quit doing that years ago. Years ago, had a fallen out, you know. So I don't know how in the world Christians think they're going to make it and, and, and quit trying to do all the, this new stuff and start going back with what works. Man, I, I don't know about you, but I like stuff that works. And so, uh, let me just share a little bit with you. Not a sermon, not a sermon, not three points and a point. Just let me just tell you how faith works. Now, now Bill was talking all week and, uh, about about speaking, speaking, speaking. Well, faith, and he said last night, and acting. So, faith is always speaking and acting. 
Always. It's always going to be talk like God. Yeah. Think like God. <laughs> Act like God. And then you'll have the same results that God has. That's right. Amen. Amen. And so the Lord gave me those, those five scriptures all those years ago. I think I quit Jeremiah one twelve. But then you go to Psalms 138 verse 2 and, and, and the Bible says God has exalted his word even higher than his name. Right? And then Proverbs chapter 4 starting at verse 20 says, My son, attend to my words. Attend to them. There's a difference in just having a 25-pound Bible on the coffee table that you, you pat lovingly and dust off religiously or light a candle to, uh, or you actually attend to it. You know, if I'm going off on a mission trip for four, five, six weeks, and I ask some neighbor or some brother to come by and, and feed my dog while I'm gone and uh, take care of my yard while I'm gone, he says, sure, I'd be glad to. And then I come home after six weeks, and the dog's starved, and the grass is up to here, and and he comes over and says, Brother Terry, I drove by your house every, every, every day, prayed in tongues. <laughs> well, thank you, but that's not attending to it. God, God said, attend to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them, them what? Them words and sayings. Let them not depart. From what? From your eyes. Boy, those early days, early, early days, I'd just go around like this. I said, Lord, I'm not going to let this depart from my eyes. I, I'm, I'm not going to look at the problem. I'm going to look at the answer. He said, incline your ear. And I'd do it like this. I'd go, Terry, get your ear in the word. Get, get, your, get your ear in the word. You know? Incline your ear to my sayings. Don't let it depart from your eyes. Joshua said, don't let it depart from your mouth. Amen. Guard it in the midst of your heart. Then he tells you why in verse 22, he says, for they, the words and sayings, they are life, L-I-F-E. They are life to those that find them, not just that have them laying around, but find them and their health and medicine to all A-W-L, all your flesh. And God gave me those five scriptures and it revolutionized my life. I came out of that room just in a day or two. And I said to Jackie, I said, I got it. I know how we're going to live. I said, I'm going back to mission fields here next week, and I'll never be sick again. And I'll have money. And we had had this thing going on about being engaged where she had told me several times, she said, uh, um, Melina, she'd say, I need to go pick out my china pattern. And I said, baby, missionaries don't have china. Missionaries go to China. <laughs> they, they, they preach in China but you don't have China when I came out of that room I said I said baby you order all the China you want I don't care well you just get all the China you want I don't care yeah. and I said I said you marry me I said we're not going to be sick we're not going to be poor yeah. and I said we're going we're gonna to take the gospel to the world and you know we set out on a quest to, to prove that and I think now after 54 years, I think we've pr pretty well established a, a, a track record uh, that this stuff really works. Amen. But all of heaven is watching you and the world all the time, every day. On our, on, on our program, the intro of our program every week, uh, it's an excerpt from me preaching. And I make that statement. I say, all of heaven is watching all the earth all the time. 
to see if a man, a woman, a boy, or a girl somewhere yes. speaks the word of God or acts on the word of God. And when they do, heaven moves. Amen. And that's just, how, that's just how faith works. That's how faith works. You know, you know 2,000 years ago, when the, when the writer of Hebrews was writing Hebrews, nobody knows who wrote Hebrews. A lot of people think the Apostle Paul did. That's okay with me. I'll ask him when I get to heaven. Did you write Hebrews? Uh, but we'll, we'll, we'll find out when we get to heaven. But anyway, whoever it was did a good job. And they were writing and inspired of the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost looked 2,000 years down in the future and said, uh, say this, write this. And so he wrote in what we call chapter 10 and verse 25. He, he, he said, forsake not. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as some do, because a lot do. A lot have forsaken it. He said, and even more so, as you see the day approaching. Well, I present to you that I don't think the day is just approaching. I think it's here. We need church and church and more church, and we need pastors that are more afraid of God than they are of the congregation. God never intended for the sheep to dictate to the shepherd what to preach. And he never intended for the church to start looking like the world. Sometimes I see pictures of churches and I see pictures of a nightclub and they look the same. I was so glad to walk in here the other night, you know, and y'all were singing and you had the lights on. We preach in so many churches that are just dark. We took Renee's 94-year-old mother with us to church one day down in Texas, and, and, and they set Renee where she's at and set me on the end seat and, and set her 94-year-old mother just on the end seat across the aisle. I mean, six feet. And I couldn't see her. It was so black in there, so dark, and I could not see her. I tell these pastors all the time, I say, there's nothing in the Bible about God and darkness. God's, God's always, God's always light. And Jesus said, you're the light of the world. And I've, I've asked pastors, I said, well, why do you do that? Well, the, the people say it gives them more intimacy. I said, Bal baloney. I said, I know why they do it at the bar in the nightclub, because that woman you're with is not your wife. I got that. I know, I, I, I know, I know why you turn the lights out. But at church, you ought to have the lights on. With God, there's no variableness. There's no shadow of turning. We're the light. He wants us to come to the light. And for, for us to keep trying to act like the world and, and look like the world, I don't know what we think we're going to gain. Because I guarantee you, the world can outworld you. They, 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 man, they got, they got great singers. They got great equipment, great musicians, great, great, man, they got great smoke and great lights and great, they, they got all that stuff. But if you're going to come out from among them and be separate and you're going to attract the world, why would the world want to come to you when you're a, when you're a cheap imitation of what the world's doing? I mean, if I'm sitting here thinking, hey, I want to go to the world, then I'm going to look to Hollywood. I'm not going to look to the church. 
See, the, see, the world is never, the world and Hollywood and Washington, D.C. are never, never, never going to be won by great sermons alone. I'm for great sermons. Thank God for great sermons. Great anointing. They can't do the anointing. We got the anointing. Although sometimes you're hard pressed to find it in the church. But, but, but great sermons alone isn't going to do it because they, they have great sermons. They have speechwriters to write their sermons. They memorize lines and have, they even have several parties a year and televise them just to congratulate themselves and pat themselves on the back for, for, how, for what great sermons they have. They get little statues and hey. So just great sermons isn't going to get it. It's going to take the supernatural because they cannot do the supernatural. In all my 54 years in the mission fields, I've always known, yeah, but I can walk in the devil's camp and I can do the supernatural. He can't do it. He's never been able to do it. I used to have pastors decades ago, good friends of mine, word of faith pastors. They said, Terry, you don't need to come in and tell miracles at church. I said, I said, you don't like miracles? Well, you don't need to tell them. I mean, you know, anybody, one pastor said, anybody can do miracles. And I said, well, you can't. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this guy was a famous word of faith preacher and a good friend of mine. Yeah. Good friend of Ed's. And, and, and I said, I said, I said, I noticed that when you get somebody healed of a headache, that you take 30 minutes in the church telling about it. And yet you don't want me to tell about blind eyes open, deaf ears unstopped, devils cast out, cripples walk, dead raised, you, all that stuff. You, it's amazing how they, I, I said, you know, you know why the Pharisees didn't like Jesus? Because he made them feel small. Nobody likes to be made to feel small. He exposed them for the pygmies they were. And, and, and that happens in the church. You can yeah, you get up and tell some miracles with a guy that doesn't have any. Yeah, come on. Makes him feel small. So yeah. he tries to offset that. Yeah. Yeah. I had a pastor at a conference one time tell me, he said, I don't know why you think you have to get up and tell a miracle, you know. And, and, I, said, and I said, well, you know, too bad you can't. I was preaching for Norval Hayes decades ago. Norval loved me and liked to have me in school all the time. And, and I was preaching there, and, and one of his administrators, I forget the guy's name now. He may be sitting here today. I don't know. But uh, uh, he, he took me out to lunch. He said, can I take you out to lunch? I said, sure. And we went to lunch. We're sitting there at the table having lunch, and he reached in his briefcase and pulled out a book. And he said, Brother Terry, I thought you might like this, uh, have a copy of this book I wrote. I said, well, of course I would. Sign it for me. And he signed it for me, and he handed it to me, and I looked at it. And, and the title, it said, You Can Raise the Dead. And I said, that's really cool. That's really great. I said, I'm glad you, I'm glad you did this. I said, how many dead have you raised? And he said, well, none. I said, mm. I said, thank you. You know, I put, and I put the book, you know, away. And, and I was so amazed that we sat there for an hour and a half having lunch. Now get this. This guy wrote a book on, you can raise the dead. Never raised the dead. He's having lunch with a guy that he knows for a fact has raised a number of dead. So I just assumed, oh, when he showed me the book, I thought, oh, that's why he wants to have lunch. He's going to pick my brain about raising the dead. He never mentioned it once. Never, 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 never. I left that lunch and I thought, I don't even get that. Here's a guy that wrote a book on raising the dead, hadn't raised the dead, sitting with a guy that has raised the dead and didn't ask me one question. 
Well, see, we expose them for the pygmies they are. So they don't like it. Amen. We're the supernatural. It's the supernatural that's going to attract. You know, there's, there's 10,000 church growth programs, but the best church growth program is the supernatural. Amen. You don't need the seven steps to this and the eight steps to that and the three steps while the seven steps don't work. You just need to, you just need to have the blind seat. They came to that blind guy that Jesus healed. And they said, don't you know that guy's a bad guy that healed you? And he said, hey, I don't know if he's a Republican or a Democrat. I don't know if he's good or bad. I don't know anything about the guy. I just know I was blind. <laughs> and now I see. Amen. That's, that's, F.F. Bosworth said in 1950, that's the year I was born. He said, uh, miracles are the dinner bell to the world. And they are. They are. For a crusadesman, not many of us crusadesmen left, I guess, but there are some, and, and they've always been my heroes, but, but, but to a crusadesman, a crusadesman is not, not teaching faith, not teaching the word, because you can't teach sinners. You have to preach. You can't teach. You have to preach. Nothing wrong with teaching Christians. But I can't walk into a, you know, I've had crusades in, with, with, with Hindus, with Muslims, with atheists, with animists, with Buddhists, with Shinto, whatever they are in whatever country I'm in. And I can't walk in that crowd of thousands and thousands, sometimes a hundred thousand. And I can't walk in there and say, now open your Bibles. Because yeah. they don't have Bibles. And I can't say, now turn to First Thessalonians. I have a clue what that is. And I'm, tonight I'm going to teach you the rhema and the logos. Yeah. What? <laughs> So I can't, I can't teach. I have to announce. See, the, the gospel is always announcing declarative statements. The gospel is never explaining. It's announcing declarative statements. Jesus is Lord. There's no argument with that. Jesus is the Son of God. God sent his only son, Jesus, to the world. Yes. Jesus was born of a virgin. Yes. See, though, though, you know, they crucified Jesus. His blood paid for you. He, he shed blood for you. You're so valuable. He loves you and died for you. And, he, and, and, the third, and they buried him, but the third day, he rose again. Yes. That's all just declarative facts. And by believing on him tonight, if you accept him tonight, you can live with him forever. And then people get saved and we have miracles. Blind eyes open, deaf ears unstopped, cripples walk. Amen. I've had people say to me over the decades and decades, say, Brother Terry, would you teach me to win souls? I just can't seem to win souls, especially with my relatives or my, or my coworkers or something. Can you, can you I said, well, I can tell you exactly why you're not winning souls with those folks. Well, why? I said, because you care too much. I said, because it's your relatives, you're trying to be nice. Because it's your coworker, you're trying to be nice. So you're trying to explain the gospel. And, and, and you can't do it. Nobody can explain the gospel. Billy Graham couldn't explain it. And he had a good job at soul winning, but he couldn't explain the gospel. He didn't understand it. You don't understand it. I don't understand it. Because it's a fact. Yes. 
It doesn't make sense. Faith doesn't make sense. Amen. God said to Noah, build a boat. It's going to rain. He said, what's rain? Didn't make sense. He's out there in his driveway for 100 years. The guy's 500 years old and builds this ark for 100 years in his driveway. Everybody comes by and laughs at him, makes fun of him. They, they, they leave in the morning, go to work, got their lunch pail. Hey, Noah, how's it going? Oh, it's going good. Praise the Lord. <laughs> what are you doing, Noah? I'm building a boat. What for? Because it's going to rain. What's that? It's it didn't make any sense until the thunder rolled. Yeah. Then they started running to the boat. But it was too late. God shut the door. And no man could open it. And all they could do, Pastor... Is they were scratching on that. Don't you know they were scratching on that door? Don't you know that their fingers were bloody? Saying, girls, let me in. It's your mother. It's your sister. Open the door. Come on, guys. Eight people in the boat. This is your best friend. Let me in. Please let me in. Too late. See, that day's coming again. That day's coming again. Are y'all here? And all they could do is sing that same old sad song that the heathen have been singing for centuries and centuries and centuries as Jeremiah 8, 20, the summer's passed, the harvest is ended, and we're not saved. What a sad song that is. I can't sing it in agony of voice that they have because I don't feel like they feel because I'm redeemed. They're not redeemed. I'm going to teach King David a Dan Stepper too, he didn't know anything about when I get to heaven because he didn't even know what it's like to be redeemed. And I do. Amen. Amen. But see, that day's coming again. It'll be too late. Does that make sense to you? We, we've, we've, and one other sign of the supernatural, and people forget about this, but I think it's one of the greatest signs of the supernatural is, Nancy, we give our money away. Nobody does that. That freaks people out. Freaks your relatives out. When they find out you give your money away. Nobody does that. They, they tell you, hey, you got you to get all you can. You got to, you know, store it in the can, then set on your can. I mean, you, you just got to, no, no, no. Hoard, hoard, hoard. Live by the law of the, you know, you know I'm a missionary. I have to use simple examples out, out in the jungle. If I say, you live by the law of the, of the hoe. Y'all know what a hoe is? Live by the law of the rake where you're pulling back to you, back to you, back to you, back. God wants you to live by the law of the shovel where you're going. <laughs> Amen. God wants you to live in an open heart and open hand. Because with a closed heart and a closed fist, you can't give, but neither can you receive. Amen. You know, when I was 18, we lived in the jungles of Panama and we used to catch monkeys. We'd kill them and eat them, but then we'd, we'd catch them too because the, the natives would take them into Panama City and sell them live. And, uh, and so the way we, the way we, we caught them is uh, we'd take a five-gallon water jug, glass, where you can see through it, no plastics back then, glass, and put a couple of bananas down in there and then tie that jug to a tree somewhere and then set it out in a known spot where the monkeys hang out. And pretty soon, here comes a monkey. This is a true story. And I've had several preachers hear me say this over the years, and they've, they've told it like it was theirs, or they've written it in books, and they've used it for other 
other examples, you know, on, on different reasons. But this, this, this is true. It really happened to me. Uh, I, I've really been there, done that. I'm not just preaching. And so uh, here'd come a monkey and he'd put his hand down in there and grab that banana. But then he can't get his hand out. And he'd hear us coming, smell us coming, know he's going to lose his life or his freedom. He'd scream and yell and holler and jump around, drag that jug around as far as the rope would let him, never let go of it. And we'd get right up there and hit him in the head and put him in a bag, you know, because he just couldn't let go. He couldn't open his fist. You just, you just, God doesn't want you to live with a closed heart and a closed fist. Amen. Giving our money away is a supernatural thing. Yes, it is. And then expecting God to return it back. I just think it's so cool that God and Jesus both in the Old Testament and New told us all these things about giving and receiving, which just violates every principle of the world. Right. And they thought it up. We, no preacher even thought it up. Jesus said, hey, give. It'll be giving you again. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together. Right over. Jesus said, Mark 10, 29, 30, saying, hey, whatever you give for my sake and the gospels, be returned to you now. This will have a hundredfold. Eternal life and life to come. Christians don't believe that. But Jesus himself said it. Paul told us if we'd sow, Romans, uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 9, 2 Corinthians, not Chronicles, Corinthians, thank you. You know, he said, uh, when you sow, you become the sower. Yes. Way back in the early 80s, Oral Roberts called me one day and he said, Terry, run up here at the office. So he'd do that quite often when he lived in Tulsa and I lived in Tulsa. He moved, later moved to California. But, but uh, a lot of times he or Evelyn would call and say, hey, run up here, run, let's have coffee. Hey, run up for dinner. Or run for lunch. So, boy, I'd just drop whatever I was doing. Jackie and I would, and we'd go up there. And so he'd give me lots of, lots of little golden nuggets. I love, I love fathers in the faith. Yes. I mean, I love these old generals. Fathers and mothers in the faith. Oh, my goodness. I could talk all day about them. And, uh, and most of mine are gone now. I'm almost an orphan. <laughs> I've, got, I've got one left that's 100, year, be 100 years old the end of August. Still preaching. And uh, Renee and I are flying down to Mexico City in August for his 100th birthday party. And, uh, and, and he's been my spiritual father since I was 18 years old. And so for 54 years. And then all these other fathers I've had over the years. And, and, and like I said, I've only got two left. And like I said, one's, one's you know, almost 90 and the other one's about 100 and the others are gone. But I love these fathers. Anyway, Oral, he'd do that every now and then. And so he called me in the early 80s when he said, said, hey, you and Jackie, come here at the office. I said, yes, sir. We just dropped what we was doing, ran up there. And he went and got an easel and set it in his office and told us to sit on the couch. And he preached us a sermon. We had our own personal sermon from Moore Roberts. And, and so he, he writes out this whole sermon. I mean, page after page after page of this easel, of this sheet. And, and he preached on money and giving and sowing and receiving. And, and he said, and he, he went to that scripture I just mentioned in, in Corinthians. And he said, he said when, you, when you release that money, when it leaves your hand, you become a sower. And he wrote big letters, S-O-W-E-R. You are the sower. You have sowed. Not the money you intended to sow, the money you wished you could sow, money you thought about sowing, but the money you've actually sown, you become the sower. 
And he just belabored the point for a while. You know, and he said, then God gives that. And so God thought all that stuff up. Amen. Amen. I'm sitting on the couch watching him do all that. And he, I guess he, you know, knew what I was thinking. Because he said, you think I do this to everybody? You think this is how I get my kicks, right? Just calling young preachers in and doing this for them. And I said, yes, sir. I was kind of thinking that. And he's called his secretary in, Ruth Rooks. Ruth had been with him for 300 years, I think. And uh, <laughs> Ruth came in the office. He said, Ms. Rooks, come in here. And she came in. He said, see this? And she came around and looked at it. She said, yes, sir. And he said, uh, have you ever seen me do this before? She said, no, sir. I've never, ever seen you do this before. First time. He says, right. It's the first time I've ever done it. He said, would you like a copy of this? I said, you got to be kidding me. Yeah. I'd pay money or blood, whatever. I, yeah, I want it. Today, we just take a picture of it with our phone. Back then, he said, well, we'll have to send this downtown to, a, to, a, uh, to an architecture firm that can copy something this big. <laughs> you know? and, and so they did and then had it delivered out, out to the house. But, but God thought those things up. That's a supernatural thing that violates all the concepts. Right? Amen. I don't know about you, but I like the word. Gee. You know, when I was about 20, I don't know, seven years old, I was in Mexico, and my friend Wayne Myers, who's my spiritual father that's about to be 100, Wayne uh, said to me, when, you know, when I met Wayne, I was 18, and he was like 45, and I thought he was really over the hill. I thought he was old. And uh, now I'm 72, and he's, you know, about be 100. But anyway, he, uh, he said, Terry, I want you to go up here north to the, to the state of Hidalgo in a little town called uh, uh, Tepepulco. And he said, I want you to preach to this church. And so I want you to stay two weeks. He said, sometimes you got to stay two weeks just to break through the unbelief and the, and the stuff, you know, and, and then start having, and start having miracles. And I said, yes, sir. So I went up there. And very first day, <clears throat> uh, Sunday, I got there Sunday afternoon, preached Sunday night. And there, it was a Pentecostal church and they had 400 people in the crowd. Uh, most of them, most of me Indian. And, uh, and they just sit there uh, through the whole service. I mean, through the song service, through the preaching. Uh, they just never moved a muscle. They just said their body language was just, they were miserable. And I could tell they were miserable. I didn't know why they were miserable. I just thought, boy, this isn't good. And, uh, and, and so I got up and preached and they didn't say amen. They didn't say hallelujah. They didn't raise their hand. They didn't shout. It's a Pentecostal church, man. And uh, they didn't even say hallelujah. Frank, a, a sweet little hallelujah. <laughs> nah, nothing. And uh, so I finished preaching. And, and, and what I preached on is Ecclesiastes 4 says, where the word of a king is, there's power. Hallelujah. And then Job twenty two twenty eight, you decree a thing and it'll be established unto you. And so I preached on that. And I took, took them to the scriptures and proved that you're kings and priests. So therefore your words are with power. And you, you know, you're supposed to decree a thing. And I went to, and tried to be there two weeks. I'm just, they never said a word. You're miserable. I, I, I called them up for prayer after I finished, you know. And, and they came up and stood across the front. And I went down and laid what Brother Hagin used to say, laying empty hands on empty heads. And nothing happened. Man, they were just miserable. I mean, I put my hand on their head and there's nothing there. I mean, it's like putting your hand on a brick wall. Nothing happened. So we left, and I stayed with the pastor back in those days. There's no hotel in town, no motel in town. I stayed with the pastor and see his wife was cooking us a meal that night. And I said, Pastor, what's wrong with your church? What is going on? I've never seen anybody so mere. They act like they're at a funeral. He said, Well, Brother Terry, I shouldn't have had you come. He said, I should have canceled these meetings. He said, This is a really bad time for meetings. 
And I said, well, why? What's going on? And he said, well, he said, we're, we're an industrial town. He said, we're like Detroit is in America. So we build automobiles. And said, we make good money in this town in the next town over. And he said, uh, but the plant here is closing this week. Wednesday morning, 9 o'clock, they're locking the doors. And everybody's just de depressed. And he said, uh, the president of the, of the nation has been up here and made speeches and said, it's going to be bad. The economy's going to be bad, but the government will try to help us. But it, it's, it's, it's bad. And he said, I should have canceled. So the only reason I had you come is because Brother Wayne called me and told me to have you come. And I said, well, that's the only reason I came because he told me to come preach. And, uh, and, and he said, well, I'm sorry. He said, this, this is a bad time. I said, was it a strike? He said, oh, no, no, it's, it's done. So they've made the speeches. They've signed the papers. They're locking the doors. It's, it's over. So Friday, some Monday night, I don't know why they came back, but all 400 of them came back. And so I preached to them. And they sat there miserable. I mean, just. And finally, I stopped right in the middle of my sermon. I said, excuse me. Hello, everybody. Hey, praise the Lord. Everybody, look up here at me. Can I have your attention, please? Hello, look, help. And they, you know, kind of looked up and I said pastor tells me that the plant down here is closing this week Wednesday morning at 9 o'clock and he says that because of that y'all are losing your jobs and uh, the economy is going to go terrible that the presidents of the nation has been up here and said he tried to help you but uh, everybody's depressed and upset and I said what I need to know from you I need to ask you one question I need to know and I said how many of you would it affect directly if the plant closes? Either you work there, your husband works there, your brother works there, your dad works there. No women would have worked there in those days. Uh, but so, but who, who, somebody works there that would affect you directly if they lose their job. Almost the whole church raised their hand. I said, great, that's all I need to know. I said, I taught you last night that where the word of the king is, there's power. And I taught you to, 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 to decree a thing and it'll be established unto you. I told you, you were kings and priests and your words are with power, but I'm a king and a priest and my words are with power and I can decree a thing and it'll be established. And I said, I know the president said it's closing. I know the company says it's closing. The corporate headquarters says it's closing. The, the co company in the States, the company in Mexico said it's closing. You say it's closing. Pastor says it's closing. I said, but I decree to you as a man of God in the name of Jesus and the office of apostle that God's called me to, that plant will not close down Wednesday morning nor thereafter. And if it does, you can tell everybody in these two cities the God of Terry Mize is a liar. And I said, if it closes down, I'm a false prophet. I'm not a man of God. You don't ever have to listen to me again. I said, in fact, if it closes Wednesday morning, I'll pack my bags Wednesday and leave town. I won't even be here Wednesday night. There's no reason for you to listen to me. I'm a liar. My God's a liar. I'll just go home. I said, but I'm not packing. I'm not leaving. I'm going to be here Wednesday night. We're going to have church. Not an amen in the house. Not a hallelujah, not nothing. Just. So I finished my sermon. I called folks up for prayer. Empty hands, empty head, nothing happened. Tuesday night, I don't know why, Morgan, but they all came back, 400 of them. I preached. They sit there miserable. I stopped in the middle of my sermons. Hey, everybody look up here. Hello, hello. I told you last night, I need to tell you again. I decree as a man of God in the name of Jesus in the office of, of apostle God's called me to, the plant's not going to close in the morning, nor thereafter. And if it does, you can tell everybody in Tepeapulco, Ciudad Sagun, that the God of Terry Myers is a liar. And I'll pack my bags and leave town because I'm a false prophet. But I'm going to be right here. We won't have church. They said there. Nothing. 
finished my sermon, called folks for prayer, empty hands, empty heads, nothing happened. But you know what? Wednesday morning, the plant didn't close. And Wednesday night, Nancy, we had some church. And, I, and, and there wasn't just 400 there. I mean, that thing was jammed, crammed, packed, people sitting in the aisles, people sitting along the walls. The, door, the windows were open, people standing outside 10 and 12 deep looking in. And I mean, we had six children that were deaf and mute, healed by the power of God. We had, we had a little girl die that week. We raised her from the dead. We had a lady with a huge gorder in the center of her chest. And I reached over and cursed it and it fell off. Uh, had a guy with a stroke that dr- drug one side of his body and God healed him. I mean, just miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. The pastor himself had had surgery before I got there and had a, a plastic bag hanging outside his body with tubes running into it. And the doctors had told him the rest of your life, you can only eat uh, mashed up, like baby food, vegetables with no seasoning whatsoever. I mean, no, no chili. <laughs> ni salsa, ni picante, ni nada de eso. <laughs> Which is a death sentence to a Mexican. And, uh, and back in those days, they didn't have, you know, food processors. I mean, she took that old stone mortar and pestle and, and just, you know, mashed up those vegetables. No, no, no seasoning of any kind on them. And, and, and three meals a day, she cooked me a normal meal and cooked him that every, every, three times a day. And he sat there and ate that stuff, and I sat there and ate good stuff. And uh, one night during that two weeks of meeting, I turned around to him and I said, Pastor, he said over here on the platform, I said, Pastor, you're healed by the stripes of Jesus. You go out and eat anything you want. He went out that night and ate barbecued goat and was completely healed by the power of God and was healed for the rest of his life. Amen. Now, driving home from that after two weeks and all those miracles and wonderful things, driving home, or not home, I was going back to Mexico City. And uh, um, I I said to the Lord uh, as I was driving along, I said, Lord, I said, something bugs me about this meeting. I said, I heard myself say that that plant won't close down Wednesday morning, nor thereafter. I said, I'm not sure what that means. I said, uh, if that plant closes down in two weeks or two months or six months, people are going to say that's not a miracle. And I said, I don't know how long to keep my faith on this thing, but I said, I, I, I you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering. And so I prayed in tongues, and I'm driving, praying in tongues, driving, talking to the Lord. Finally, I said, you know what, Lord? I said, I, I think 10 years would be more than fair. I said, I don't think anybody would argue if it stayed, if a plant stayed open 10 years. Yeah. I think, I think yeah. that's a valid, nobody can argue with that. That's right. So for 10 years, I checked with them. That was January 1977. I checked with them until 1987. Still open. But I have friends in Mexico City when I go down there and preach that actually still sell to that plant. They come up to me and say, Brother Terry, the plant's still open. <laughs> and I mean, this is 2020. And, uh, and it's never closed. He said, they tell that story all over town. I said, they don't remember your name. They just say some young gringo missionary uh, <laughs> Came up, here and, came up here and declared the plant wouldn't close and it never has closed and they give God the glory for it. But see, we're, we're going to have to speak a thing. If we're going to operate in faith, we're going to have to declare the word of God and act on the word of God so heaven knows what, we're supposed to, what they're supposed to do because they don't know what they're supposed to do until you say something and do something. That's in line with the word. A lot of y'all know my story. I won't go into it. It's already 12 o'clock. I, said, I, won't, I won't go into details. But, but a lot of y'all know my story about when I was 24 years old in Mexico, living there as a missionary, I, I picked up a hitchhiker just outside of Zacatecas. 
And uh, he, he got in the car with me. I thought I'd give him a ride. And, and so I've got a tape of Brother Copeland's in the, in the player on the integrity of the Word of God. So Kenneth's preaching, and I'm driving to Guadalajara. And, uh, and so I picked him up, and he got in the car, and I took off. And, and I'm just not paying attention to him. I'm just driving, and, 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 and pretty fast because it's a straightaway before I hit the mountains. And so I'm driving along there, and I, I'm thinking in Spanish because I'm thinking, i gotta, I got to talk to this guy in Spanish. He doesn't speak English, so i got to witness to him. And so uh, finally I figured what I was going to say, and I turned to say it to him. And whenever I did, he just reached in his coat and put out a pistol. And he cocked the hammer on the pistol and just reached over and slammed it into my ribs hard and reached over with his left hand and caught my collar like this. So I'm, I'm driving the car and he's got my collar like this. And, got the, and he screamed at me and said, I'm going to kill you. Only in Spanish. Te voy a matar. And uh, it made me mad. I'm 24 years old and I'm a faith guy. And, you know, I, I understand spiritual things and authority and and I said, I'm a man of God and got authority over you in the name of Jesus. You can't kill me. Come on. Well, that made him mad. Yeah. He poked me at that gun again and yanked on my car. Said, I said, I'm going to kill you. And I said, and I said, I'm a man of God and I've got authority over you in the name of Jesus. You can't kill me. Yeah. He said, we're going down the road like this. Kenneth's still preaching. I just let him preach. <laughs> and, uh, and so uh, this went on for a while and everything he said to me was a threat and everything I answered him was the word, which made him mad. Right. You know, the Bible says a carnal mind is an enmity against God or an enemy of God. But that's not my problem. You know, and so I rebuked him in English and Spanish and tongues. And, uh, and, and he kept cursing me. And finally he said to me, he said, he said, what's the matter with you? Aren't you scared? No tienes miedo? I said, no, I'm not scared. I said, why should I be scared? All you've got is a loaded gun. I've got the name of Jesus. I win. <laughs> well, that made no sense to him. But remember, faith doesn't make sense. That's right. Amen. Amen. And this went on for a while. And I said to the Lord, Father, in English, I said, Lord, uh, Jesus said in Luke, 20, uh, Luke uh, 10, 19, that he gave me authority or power over A-double-L, all the power of the enemy and nothing. I spelled it for God. N-O-T-H-I-N-G, no thing shall by any means hurt me. Yeah. I said, that means this man, his gun, his bullets cannot, cannot hurt me. And if he pulls the trigger, Father, then you must, M-U-S-T, must do something with the bullets. <laughs> Not for my sake. This isn't about me, but for your covenant's sake. For you're the covenant God that keepeth covenant. And Jesus said, nothing shall by any means hurt me. Yeah. This is all about you and your covenant. It's about me. And we went down the road and, and uh, you know, he picked up some microphones I had laying in the seat. I said, put those down. They belong to God. And I said, everything in this car belongs to God. The car belongs to God and I belong to God and you can't have any of it. Well, that made him mad. Finally, he got so mad he just said, pull off the road. Get off the road. So I pulled off the road into a cornfield and he said, get out. And I did. And we met the front of the car. And he said, give me your money, your jewelry, your stuff, you know. And he walked up close to me and I'm leaning up against the car and, and just praying in tongues. I don't know what to do. I'm just trying to hear from God. I just knew, use the name, use the blood, use the word, use the covenant, use the power of the Holy Spirit, and then do it again. Use the name, use the blood, use the word, use the covenant, power of the Holy Spirit, and then do it again, then do it again, then do it again, then do it again. And Brother Copeland used to say way back in the old, old, old days, he'd say, hey, this isn't a nine in the ball game. We played, we win. So I, so I thought, I'm just going to keep playing until I win here. And so uh, he walked up close to me and uh, when he did, got up, I'm leaning against the car and he walked up close to me and I just stuck my finger in his face and I said, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus Christ. And when I did, he hit me with that gun barrel, just popped me like that, just like that. Knocked me back over the car. It hurt. You know, knocked me back down over the car and then put, put the gun barrel right on my forehead like this. 
and he's screaming at me and he said, shut up, Kayate. If you say one more word, I'll kill you. And I just pushed myself up off the car and just, just put my finger in his face, passed his gun like this and just stepped into him. And I said, I said, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. You can't kill me. You can't hurt me in any way. And when I did, he just jumped backwards a couple of steps. We were nose to nose. He just jumped backwards a couple of steps and shot at me five times at point blank range. And the bullets didn't hit me. In fact, I don't know whatever happened to the bullets. Don't, don't know, don't care. Um, I've never asked the Lord, how'd you do that? I don't care how you did it. <laughs> I just know that that night, there's a lot more detail to it that I won't go into. But that night I slept in my bed with my wife and my babies in Guadalajara and that guy set up in the dark mountains of Mexico with a gun, wondering what happened. <laughs> but what happened was the integrity of the word of God. Amen. But see, heaven was listening to all this. Heaven's watching. And heaven said, hey, hey guys, look, look what happened to Terry. Oh, wow. Wow. That guy's got a gun, said you're going to kill him. What's Terry going to say? My angels are pulling for me. I, I'm, that's my guy. I think he's going to say something. <laughs> so they're watching like this. What's he going to say? What's he going to do? And so I said the word and did the word and said the word and did the word and said the word and did the word. And finally he got out and shot at me. But I'd already said, Father, Jesus said, so if he pulls the trigger, you must, for your covenant's sake. And so whenever that all came down, then heaven moved. Heaven moved. Heaven moved. I was in the jungles of Guatemala years ago. I took an American medical doctor with me from Tulsa, a good friend of mine, still a friend of mine today. And uh, uh, a medical doctor, I said, hey, I'm going to the jungle to preach. Uh, you want to you go to the jungle and do some doctoring? He said, yeah, that'd be fun. Let's do it. And so uh, we went down to Guatemala and went out to the jungle. And, and uh, uh, while we were there, I, I worked in a clinic with him and I translated for him. And he taught me to give shots and give pills to the people in the clinic. And then at night, we'd go to the river and take a bath and change clothes and walk over to the crusade grounds. And I'd preach and we'd have miracles. And there's one particular night we had, had a bath in the river and changed clothes and was going over to preach in our, our afternoon, not wooden night. And uh, here comes this couple, man and woman, with a little tiny baby in their arms, Nancy, tiny. And I, I saw them coming, and I thought, that's a, that's a newborn. That's a baby. That's a tiny baby. And the second thing I noticed, Morgan, I, I, I thought to myself, I said, I've never seen a newborn that wasn't in the fetal position. I've never seen a newborn that didn't have their arms and their legs drawn. Uh, that baby's limp. And I thought, this is, this is not good. And so as we got closer, I could see a little girl. And... Uh, they came up to us and they said, we heard there's a doctor here. They say, we heard there's a man of God or miracles. And they said, we heard there's a doctor here. And I said, I said yes, this is a doctor right here. And they said, doctor, our baby's 13 days old and been like this ever since she was born. 13 days. And uh, he said, well, let's go back to the clinic. So they took, they left. And I went on over and preached crusade. And while I'm preaching the crusade, uh, the missionary that lives there, he's in heaven today, but his wife's still there. I still communicate with her. But uh, uh, he came up on the platform, said in my ear while I'm preaching, he said, the doctor says, get everybody to pray. There's no hope for this baby. She's going to die. And I thought, well, I don't want them to pray. They don't know how to pray. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, right. so I just said this. I said, folks, 
there's a, there's a baby here at the clinic that needs to be healed. Yes. We need to watch our prayer requests. Yes. Yes. Instead of standing up and saying, pray for Aunt Susie, she's dying with cancer. We need to, we need to rephrase that a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> and so I didn't say there's a baby over here that's dying. I said, there's a baby over here that needs to be healed. Yes. I said, you agree with what I say. I'm going to pray and you agree with me. Amen. I didn't ask them to pray. And so I prayed and I said, now, Father, I decree as a man of God in the office you've called me to that uh, that baby will live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. Yes. Well, I went on, preached, got people say, had miracles, had testimonies. Nobody's come to tell me about the baby yet. So when it's over, I walk back on over a few hundred yards to the clinic. And when I walk in there, I should have given the sound guys some pictures of this. That would have been cool. But uh, when I walked in, the doctor just got her laying on the table and he's leaning over like this. Just, just, and he's just dripping sweat. You're in the tropics. He's dripping sweat. And he looked up at me and he said, Terry, why'd you bring me down here, man? He said, I, I, I can't do anything with this baby. He said, I need a hospital. I need a pediatrics ward. I need, I need machinery. I need equipment. I, I need stuff. Yeah. And I said, buddy, you just don't got stuff. I said, you, you're welcome to my world. I said, you know, we, we just, we just got to believe God and, and you got to do what you can as a doctor and I'll do what I can as a missionary. And so, uh, we stood there and talked a little bit and there's other details I won't go into, but he, he, uh, uh, while we were sitting there talking, she died. He took his stethoscope, did all that stuff, and felt her neck and took, checked her breath. And, and he, well, she's dead. Well, I just scooped her up and held her up before God and started praying. And, uh, and I'd raised the dead a number of times. And so I just went after that one. But it just kept on not working. And it just kept on and kept on. And I kept praying and praying. And it kept on and I kept praying. And it kept on and I kept praying. And so... Uh, finally, at uh, three o'clock in the morning, I'm holding this baby because I'd been I'd been holding her this whole time, and I'd talk I'd, I'd talk to her. And I said, "Baby, listen, Princess, you won't you won't I won't bury you. I, I will not bury you. You hear me? You'll live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. You're healed by the stripes. You hear me? You're healed. I'd hold her out like this. I said, "Listen, listen, baby doll, you're healed. You're healed. You hear me? You're healed by the stripes. You you'll 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 I'll not bury you. You'll live and not die. And it's been going on for a long time." And so I'm holding her like this. And he said, uh, the doctor walked up to me. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. He says, Terry, Terry. And he grabbed my arm and jerked and said, Terry. And I said, what? He said, Terry, listen to me. Listen to me. She's dead. D-E-A-D, dead. I'm concerned about you. He said, you've been praying for her, holding her up for nine hours. I'm concerned about you. He said, put her down, put her on the table. He said, let's go to bed and we'll bury her in the morning. He said, at least you got her parents saved hours ago. Something good to come out of this. But he said, you know, you did everything you could as a missionary. It didn't work. I did everything I could as a doctor. It didn't work. So it just didn't work. He said, now put her down. She's dead, Terry. She's dead. You understand me? She's dead. I said, doc, you leave me alone. Now, there's nothing wrong with him. He's a good guy. He's a word guy. He just, you know, he's just... And I said, you leave me alone. I said, I got a job to do. Now, if you want to go to bed, you help yourself. But I, I'm going I'm to raise this baby up. God, I'm not going to bury this baby. And, and he said, Terry, I said, no, no. Pray with me or go to bed. And so I kept on. And three hours later at six o'clock in the morning, I said, uh, devil, you might as well quit. Because I'm not going to. I said, you might as well leave. 
Because I said, if you want to stay here, you're just going to hear the name of Jesus, the word of God, the blood of Jesus. I'm going to stick you with the sword of the spirit. I'm, I'm not stopping. I'm not going to bear this baby. I said, you have caught me in a situation where I am in spiritual authority. I said, I'm not in America. I love America, but I'm not in a hospital there. I love hospitals and doctors and nurses. I appreciate them all, but it's their house, their rules, their authority. Most of you pastors can say with me, you've been to the hospital and they're sweet and they're nice and they're kind and they'll give you about 30 minutes and they'll come very politely and say, now Reverend, uh, we need to do some things here. You need to go take care of the family. And I've said so many times, no, 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 I need to do this. No, no, Reverend, we, we, we've given you half an hour and, and you, need to, you need to take care of the family. They need you. I said, no, no, no. If I, if they said, that's your job. They, I said, no, no, if I do this, then they, that'll fix that. They won't need me if I get this done. Now, Reverend, you have to go. It's their house. It's their rule. their authority. I'm not mad about it. I just understand the system. And I could tell you 18 dozen stories along those lines. But uh, I said, I said, but, but I'm, I'm here in the jungle. This is my jungle. I said, this isn't your jungle. It's my jungle. I'm in authority here. I said, now the parents had spiritual authority because all parents have spiritual authority over the kids. I said, but they brought it and gave it to the doctor. They didn't come give it to the man of God and the miracles. They, they presented the baby in spiritual authority to the doctor. So the doctor had spiritual authority. Then the baby died. So nobody has spiritual authority. So then I took it. See, you need to understand something about spiritual authority. Every time you go into something, you need to understand when you have it, when you don't. And if you don't, if you can get it, because sometimes you can get it when you don't. Or when you don't have it and you can't get it, so you might as well forget it and go to the house. And there are times like that. There are just times that you don't have it and can't get it. But that was one of those times I said, you know, it was the parents. They gave it to the doctor. She died. Nobody has it. I took it. And I said, so I'm in spiritual authority here and I'm not bearing this baby. And when I finished with that little speech to him, I guess he got discouraged and left because she started crying. And uh, God raised her up and healed her of, of what killed her. Isn't that cool? You know what was, you know what was cool, Nancy? Uh, Buddy Harrison had just started his church in Tulsa, FCF. And John, you, where you guys at? You'll, 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 you, you may have been there that Sunday. You'll, you'll remember this anyway. And uh, before I went to Guatemala, and the doctor went to his church as well. And before I went to Guatemala, I went to the sound guys. Or I went to Buddy first, and, and, and then I went to the sound guys. I said, I'm going to be in the jungle preaching next Sunday. And I said, why don't we? And I said, the missionary has a ham radio. And I said, why don't we, you get the sound guys to rig a telephone to go all the way up to the platform. And next Sunday, I'll call you by ham radio from the jungle and just give a report. And I said, we'll call and get some ham here in America because hams monitor the net. And I said, we'll, we'll get some ham to, uh, on the radio and we'll have him just get on the landline, call the church and patch us through. And I'll just talk to the church and give you a little missionary report from the jungle. Well, little did I know that the report I was going to have was that I had just that night <laughs> spent 12 hours with a dead baby and God raised her from the dead. So I called them about church time, Tulsa time, and uh, gave them that report. Oh, my Lord, that church has about 2,200 people in the church in those days. 
And I mean, they went nuts. They went wild. In fact, my wife was sitting there. She heard the report. And the doctor's wife was sitting there, and she heard the report. And, and did you ever meet Bob Lemon, Bob and Mary Bell? I, I, I took Bob with me on that trip. Bob, Bob worked at Sears and Roebuck in, in Woodland Hills Mall in Tulsa, selling uh, in the automotive department, selling tires. And I came by and said, Bob, I'm going to the jungle to preach. You want to you go? And he said, yeah. And I, he quit his job right then. And uh, traveled with me for four months and then went to work for Buddy Harrison and for years and then went in, his own, went in his own ministry. Bob used to tell me, he said, but Terry, I, I told the baby story the other day and I, I think I mentioned your name. I said, well, that's, that's kind of you. Well, thank you. <laughs> but so Mary Bell, his wife was sitting there and heard the story. I mean, that church just went, I've still got that old, that old cassette tape from that, from that phone call. But see, heaven was watching all that. Now, Terry, why did it take 12 hours? I don't have a clue. You ought to see the pictures of me. I can see, man, I had bags under my eye. I've been fighting hell for 12 hours and uh, hot, sweaty, you know, but you know, we won. We won. And, and that little girl, whenever she got to be, uh, uh, you know, big enough to talk, uh, well, about six years old, they started taking her through the villages and telling the story about how Jesus raised her from the dead and she'd sing songs for Jesus. And then she grew up and got married and uh, had three kids and uh, uh, still loves God and serves God today. She's in her 40s today. And once in a while, I hear from her from the missionary lady down there by ham radio, you know, and, uh, and talk to her. But I mean, miracle after miracle after, but it's always heaven's gonna be watching. This is how faith works. It's just heaven's, heaven's always watching. Heaven's always waiting to see what are you going to do? What are you, what's my guy going to do? What's my girl going to do? What's she going to say? What are they going to, so I know what I'm supposed to, so the angels know what they're supposed to do. Amen. Amen. That's how faith works. That's what happened that night in, in Matthew chapter 14, when Jesus, John the Baptist, his cousin had been killed, been assassinated, been murdered because of that perverted woman. And, uh, and so Jesus was sad about it and he went off to the seashore. He said, I want to be by myself. And he tried to get off by himself and, and, and the crowd wouldn't let him go. And so they, they, they came with him as he had to preach to him. And finally he turned around to the boys and he said, guys, I'm going to stay and send the people away. And then I'm going to go pray a little bit and I'll catch up with you. Y'all get in the boat and go on the other side. I don't know how they thought you can catch up with them. Yeah. So they did, they got in the boat and left. So he finished with the people, sent them away. He went up the mountain to pray. And I've always said, if he had to pray, we'd probably do too. And, uh, and so when he got through praying, then it was late and dark. So he gets up and turns around and looks. And he had to look in the spirit. He can't see in the natural out there. And he looked and saw the boys and they're out there in the boat. And the Bible says the wind was contrary. So they were having a hard time. And so he just thought, I'll just walk out there on the water and get in the boat with them. That's his whole plan. Whole intention. I'm going to walk out, get in the boat. So heaven's watching all this. Don't you know they were sitting there and whenever Jesus, you know, the people started bugging Jesus, don't you know heaven probably said, oh, I wish they'd leave him alone. I mean, John just, John just, uh. now of course Jesus knows about heaven. He knows he's going to see John, but he's still hurt. John's the only guy on the planet that understood him. He's his preaching buddy. He's a cousin. And, uh, and so, you know, the, the angels, well, the, Jesus, send, Jesus, send the boys away. He told him, he'd, how's he going to join them? I don't know. And so Jesus sent the boys away. He got in the prayed and he did everything. Now he gets up and looks and there's the boys out there. And, and he just walks over the, to the edge and starts walking. And the angels probably said, hey, look at the boss. He's walking on water. He hadn't done that before. That's cool. <laughs> so the angels are watching. They're all excited about that. Boys are out there in the boat. And uh, when he gets a little closer to him, remember they saw him and thought he was a ghost. Fear every time. Say this, fear and faith. Fear. Cannot live in the same house. 
Well, you better get that. You better get that on the inside of you. Fear and faith cannot, 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 cannot. They cannot coexist. They cannot live. You cannot live in the same house. And so uh, he's walking on the water. They think he's a ghost. And it says they were scared, fear. That that only enemy hell, the only weapon hell has, fear. And uh, so they said it's a ghost. And Jesus said, whatever angels said, every time they showed up in the Old Testament, New Testament, what Jesus always said, don't be afraid, fear not. So Jesus said, Jesus said, cheer up, guys, be of good cheer. It's me. Don't be afraid. And the angels are watching all this. They probably poke at each other and say, <laughs> they think the boss is a ghost. They're scared again. Those guys are scared. One more time. And then Jesus says, cheer up, it's me. Don't be afraid. Now that should have settled it. Right. And he's going to walk and get in the boat and go with them to the other side. Wow. But Peter, Peter had an idea. <laughs> and he stands up and he says, well, Lord, if it's you, bid me come. Don't you know the angel said, do you hear what he just said? <laughs> the boss just said, it's me. Yes, sir. And now Peter said, if it's you, yes. bid me come. Yes. What's the boss going to do? Because if he doesn't bid him come, they're going to think it's not him. Right. So he has no choice but to tell him come. Yeah. Yes, sir. to come. Hey, you guys stand up and get ready because if the boss tells him to come and should he actually come, we got to do something. Right. We got to go to work. That's right. right. And Jesus stands there on the water and scratches his head and he says, what? <laughs> if, if it's me, I just told him it's me. <laughs> I just told him it's me. And he yeah. says, if it's me, yeah. bid him come. So, okay, Peter, come. I bet there was a rustle of angel wings about that time. They stood up and said, oh, hey guys, come on. If Peter puts his foot out that boat, we got to do a miracle. Well, how, how do you guys want to handle this? Y'all want to make Peter light or the water hard? What do y'all do? We got to... Right? We, we got to do something. So I've had people say to me, Nancy, over the years, Terry, why did, why did, why did Jesus make Peter walk? He knew he didn't. Jesus had nothing to do with it. Peter forced that whole thing. If Peter hadn't said that, Jesus just walked over and got in a boat. But Peter says, Lord, if it's you. And so sure enough, Peter stood up. And lifted his leg and went over the side of that boat and heaven moved. And I don't know if they made Peter light or the water hard, but they did a miracle that defied gravity in nature because that's what faith does. Faith, faith overrides nature. Faith overrides gravity. Faith overrides water. Faith overrides fire. Faith overrides armies. Faith overrides bullets. Faith over... Amen? It never makes sense except to heaven and those that think like heaven. And I mean, when Peter's foot hit that water and he walked and he's walking just fine, looking at Jesus. But the devil, remember the devil? He's sitting on Peter's shoulder like he sits on everybody's shoulder. And his job is to get your focus off of the word or off of Jesus. Doesn't matter what he says to you. It, just, it, it doesn't have to make sense. He just has to get you 
to break your focus. So he's sitting on Peter's shoulder and he says, Peter, the wind's blowing. Right? The wind's blowing. Because it says Peter looked around and saw the wind was boisterous. Oh my God, the wind's blowing. I can't walk on water. Well, he can't walk on water anyway. You go out here on a nice calm day to the pool or the lake or whatever, and his water's like glass. You just try to walk on it. It doesn't, you can't. Wind doesn't have anything to do with it. But it never has anything to do with faith. Jesus, faith isn't going to make sense, but neither is what the devil tells you. So Peter looks around and says, oh my God, the the wind's blowing. I can't walk. And begin to sink. Didn't sink, begin to sink. And then he, Jesus, he said, Lord, save me. And Jesus grabbed him. But then Jesus dressed him down and chewed him out. Now, the church doesn't like to hear that. The church likes to think that Jesus is a little mealy-mouthed, sissified, wimpy guy that just would never say anything bad to anybody. No, 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 no. Jesus dressed him down as he had dressed the disciples down many times. And he said, Peter, wherefore did you doubt? What's wrong with you? Why, why did you doubt? Oh, you of little faith didn't he? Didn't they walk back to the boat together? Jesus didn't carry him. They walked together. Got in the boat. Disciples got all happy. Went to the other side. Don't you know the next day around noon, they were sitting around the campfire having lunch. And those guys started talking about that. I mean, I would have, wouldn't you? They said, that's the greatest thing that happened last night I ever saw in my life. There's the boss walking on water. We thought he was a ghost. And then Peter said, then he said, come. And Peter Matthew might have said, I was, I was right next to Peter. When he stood up to put his foot out there, I got goosebumps on my goosebumps. <laughs> Thomas might have said, yeah, and I still don't believe it. You know? <laughs> Judas, Judas probably said, I could have made some money off that if I'd have had an advance notice. You know? <laughs> but anyway, how do you think Peter felt? He walked. God did a miracle, a supernatural. Heaven moved for Peter. What did heaven do for those other 11 guys? Not a thing. Not a thing. Heaven did nothing for them because they said nothing and did nothing. Had an old minister. He's been in heaven for decades now, but an old minister one time preached a message at our church and he he preached on, uh, are you a wet water walker or a dry boat rider? And I walked up to him after service. I was a kid, you know, I walked up to him and I said, I shook his hand and said, oh, that was a great sermon. I really enjoyed that. Thank you. And he said, he said, Terry, are you a wet water walker or a dry boat rider? And I said, I'm neither one, sir. He said, what? I said, I'm neither one. I said, I'm a dry water walker. There you go. Amen. I'm going to walk on the water and not sink. I need to let y'all go. Did you get anything out of all this today? Yeah. My, 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 my. Praise the Lord. I've enjoyed ministering to you. You've been gracious. And uh, I, I'm, I've just been honored to be here. Stand up with me. Father, in the name of Jesus. Lord, thank you for your word. Father, heaven is watching. Always watching. Always, 24-7, always watching. The earth, all the time. You said, I've exalted my word even above my name. You said, you watch over your word to perform it. Heaven's watching. To see if any man, any woman, any boy, any girl, anywhere... Is going to speak your word, say your word, declare your word, act on your word. So heaven knows what to do. And then heaven moves and we see a great miracle. 
Father, as we leave this place today and leave this conference after tonight's service, we, Father, we, we make a renewed commitment that we're going to talk the word and do the word and talk the word and do the word. And talk. We're, we're going we're gonna to do those three things you told Joshua. We're going to think like God, talk like God, and act like God. And we thank you for it, for the supernatural, the supernatural that will attract the world and we thank you for it and give you glory and honor and praise and majesty, dominion in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, 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 amen. We trust you've enjoyed this message. Visit us at DufresneMinistries.org to learn of our upcoming meetings, share your testimony, become a partner, or visit our online store. This program has been made possible by the friends and partners of Dufresne Ministries.